Let's go ahead and stand up and pray. O Heavenly King, the comfort of the Spirit of Truth, watch over our present to post all things, treasure, blessings, and give our life. Come and abide in us and cleanse us from every impurity and save our souls, a good one. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So last week, we, uh, if anyone is missing classes, uh, everything is being uploaded onto the St. Anne's Catechumen class. Uh, so please, uh, last week is something that I highly suggest that you tune into. Besides um, listening, this really there's not that much that's actually asked of you to read. So you really should be reading, especially because it's all online. You don't have to buy a book, but I you need to read these chapters in order to kind of wrap your mind around what is being said and what the church teaches on these various topics. Uh, I was going to hit on marriage and family and the child of sickness, suffering, death, and the kingdom of heaven. Uh, but I was sick this past week and I did not get to read through that stuff. So I'm going to pause that and go ahead and move on to confession and talk about confession. Because that's just me going, I'm just going to talk about it. Uh, talk about what it is, how it works. Uh, there's also a handout that I haven't uh, printed out, but I will email it to you. Uh, that is a packet, uh, I think it's like 30 something pages, that is kind of a, a packet to help prepare for confession. Uh, when someone is being received into the Orthodox Church, whether through baptism or through chrismation, uh, it is the practice of the church to do a lifetime confession. So, uh, let me just ask this, who has done confession before in a sacramental manner. Okay, Roman Catholic, you've been Orthodox. Everyone else has either Protestant background or meh background, right? Meh, just like not Protestant, right? Not Christian. Uh, who is the idea of confession? Does that give you the heebie-jeebies or just kind of makes you anxious? Other people know? Yeah? A little bit. A little bit. It, it's, it's totally normal to be anxious about going in front of the priest and talking to God about your sins and stuff that you wouldn't talk to anyone else about. Uh, that is normal. That means that you have shame, <laughs> which is actually a good and healthy thing for you to have some sense of shame about things. If you are shameless, there's we have a problem, right? That means you're... you're heart has become hardened and you are not aware. Now there can be like over the top toxic type of shame where you can't handle the fact of uh, being able to take responsibility or being able to name things that you are guilty of or that you struggle with. Uh, but the reality of confession is something that uh, is very primal and important 
for a Christian. Now, if you're coming from a background where that is not a normative practice, there's still all sorts of attempts to try to do it anyways. Right? What, did anyone grow up in Protestant churches where they had accountability partners? No, but I think I've heard of it. Right? Or like small groups where everybody talks about their sins together and can, like basically everyone confesses to one another. I remember, does anyone know what D-Now is? If you're a Baptist. I was not Baptist, but I went to this in high school. It's called Discipleship Now. Yes. Okay. So <coughs> discipleship training in Jamaica. In, in Jamaica. There's like a Baptist thing where they had teens come together and get them all like amped up through the music and they get saved for the 15th time. And then they do like small group things and they all talk about their their sins, which you can imagine what a bunch of 15 and 16 year old boys are getting around <laughs> to talk about, about what their sins are. It's not Grand Theft Auto. Uh, well, maybe playing too much Grand Theft Auto when I was without a pin. But the, the reality of those settings, it was, it was such a fascinating experience to see everybody wants to let go of stuff. Uh, I forget who it was, but it was the, the birth or around the birth of like psychotherapy. Uh, there's this interesting trend that you can see where it really took off with the Protestants. The Jews too, right? Freud is Jew. Jung, was a, his dad was a reformed pastor and there's a whole crazy background there with his family. Uh, but they all, like there was this craze about this. And in the Catholic world, there was not as much of a craze about psychoanalysis and psychotherapy and stuff. Uh, nor in the Orthodox world because they had basically built into pastoral care an aspect of that through confession and spiritual direction. Now, are there different things? There are different things between going and seeing a counselor about something and then going to sacramental confession and spiritual direction. Uh, in the same way that, like, how would I say this? I can probably give you a lot of pointers for marriage counseling, but... I don't have the specialization to teach you how to better communicate or learn how to communicate better, right? <laughs> it's kind of like I can talk about the spiritual side of those things and I could probably give you kind of like having a, a, a beer together and talking about what's going on, but I'm not licensed as it. And not to like overdo even licensed therapy per se, but just to say there is a difference uh, therapy can be helpful. There are bad forms of therapy. There's bad forms of therapists. And by that I mean just they don't believe in God and they want to actually destroy your faith. <laughs> and they want to undermine and they want to destroy your marriage. I've heard of this. Like, oh, they don't sound good for you. And like, what it is is like a pretty normal, healthy, like that people actually need each other. <laughs> or like we throw around codependence like as like it's candy and like sometimes like no that's actually a normal relationship where two people are actually like interdependent upon each other is not codependency right because somebody loves someone else I mean we're, if we're talking about abuse of course we're talking about a different thing but I mean, does anyone remember Eat Pray Love? Yes. Wow am I that old? No. Maybe it's just the demographic that's sitting in here. I remember it. It was the basically go find yourself by leaving your husband and going to India and having a spiritual relationship and sleeping with the yoga instructor. Oh, that's not 
Is everyone kind of familiar with that kind of a story anyways? Yeah, find yourself. <laughs> find yourself, like Oprah yeah. on steroids, right? Find yourself in sin. Yeah, well, and that, so that can, there are therapists, and that is basically their shtick. But I'm obviously not going to put Eat, Pray, Love therapists up there, but that's what my, that kind of like, because it's counseling, right? I, there's, there is a form. When we don't have natural dads or like dads in our life, we're going to search out a father figure of some sort. We don't have moms that can also affect us. We like to talk about missing dads, but there also can be toxic and problematic mothers. Uh, and I'm talking about that because that's where like therapy can be helpful for us. Or if we have like are being afflicted by particular mental illnesses and things, and there's uh, medication that is necessary. Confession is not the same thing as that kind of therapy. Because it's dealing with, how should I say this? I don't want to just make natural and supernatural, but it's basically, I can help with like your relationship with people around you, but that is basically, ultimately and primarily relationship with God. Right? So it might be somebody who needs to help you with dealing with the, the crazy parent that you have in your life. Right? That you need to learn boundaries, that you need to figure out how to communicate, how you need to stand up for yourself, that kind of stuff, right? So confession itself as a sacramental act uh, is something that we find in Scripture. It's where at the end of the Gospel, uh, where our Lord gives over basically the, the power to bind and loose to the apostles. And that is something that has been understood within the church uh, to be through the sacramental act of confession, which is the naming of our sins before God with the priest present. Uh, so I'm going to just talk about the form of confession itself because, and you will encounter in different Orthodox churches that different priests and backgrounds, uh, they might do confession just a little bit differently. I'm going to talk to you about how the OCA or how the general kind of, I'll say, Russian or Slavic practice of confession happens. When you, uh, right now, Many churches, when you enter, it, the, there will be folks. There's different places where confessions are heard. It can be in the church during uh, even a service at times, especially if there's more than one priest. Um, that they would be on the side somewhere in a corner, basically. And they'll always have, I didn't bring my, my props, okay? So you're just going to have to go with this, all right? You're always going to have, here we go. <laughs> uh, you're always going to have on the, an analogian, basically, of some sort, this is an analogian, just basically means uh, standing up thing that holds books, analogian, right? Okay. Um, you're going to have the gospel on it, and you're going to have a cross, okay? Like a blessing cross. Uh, the priest stands next to, and typically you're going to have, like in my, I hear confessions in my office because the space is just not conducive to people being able they don't have to whisper like this and sometimes it's very hard to hear people what are you saying <laughs> right uh, and it just has become easier to, so I just do it in my office right now because of the space but we're in a much bigger church uh, and there is space you go into a corner and the priest stand next to you some priests will have the epithelion around like on top of your head uh, and uh you basically confess before an icon, the gospel book, and the cross. When you come up, you venerate the gospel and the cross, 
and then the priest uh, does an introductory prayer. The prayer that I do, I'll just do it because I have it memorized. Behold, Christ stands before you to hear a confession. Do not be ashamed. Do not be afraid. Do not hide anything from me, for I am only a witness. Behold, Christ stands before you to hear all this in your heart. Tell him all this in your heart, lest having come to a place of position, you depart unhealed. Um, this then is the beginning of the confession where the penitent says the things that they need to say. In a lifetime confession, we're not, uh, you, this is not a time for when you say like, when I was 12, I stole $5 out of my mom's purse in order to buy a pack of cigarettes or something like that, right? You probably got two packs of cigarettes <laughs> for five bucks, right? Like, this is, in lifetime confession, we are talking about, and this is a time for you to, in preparation for entering into the church, to really kind of look at your life and the things that have developed. Uh, confession, in many ways, is uh, weeding our garden, right? It's being able to assess and be like, okay, and looking over your life and just like, I have really like developed an anger problem in the past five years, or I have always struggled with lust. I have always been envious, or you know, I beat the snot out of a kid that I hated in fourth grade because he looked at me the wrong way too many times. Right? You can't. There, there are particular events because I think all of us have this. There's like certain things that kind of crystallize for us of like an event where we like afterwards we look back and it kind of crystallizes something for us. I don't know if that resonates with all of you, but like you can kind of like if it's not like an event or it's like a series of events where you can kind of like in your mid-teens you start like waking up and feeling the guilt or the shame that's attached to those things uh, that is something that if you want to talk about specifics in confession you're welcome to talk about it now when I say talk I, I confession is not a place per se I would make a differentiation between confession and then kind of like pastoral counsel confession is where you're naming sins and it's not I call it, it's not story time. It's not where you come in and you say, well, my aunt such and such did such and such and then this thing and then everybody was there at the Thanksgiving dinner table and it, I just got so mad and then I, you know, I didn't talk to my grandma for four days and blah, blah, blah. And I'm sitting there and I'm going, I will ask, so what's the sin? Like, <laughs> this is a nice story. I've heard a lot of names. Because part of the thing about confession is you are there to confess your sins. And it is, I know how sin works. It's almost always wrapped up with other people, right? Or how we've offended someone or how somebody, because this is also reality, and we can see it this way, they provoked me or they set the stage for this. But that's not what confession is about, is to come to talk about anybody else. It is, you're coming there to admit your fault in something. So it is not a time for you, this isn't tattletale time, like, I don't want to put it like that, but there are time if you need help discerning something, then we can also talk about it. Sometimes that does happen in confession, because it's just a natural thing, because somebody's overwhelmed and life is such and such, and they also need to confess. That's fine. There are certain times where I might say, like, we're going to have to sit down and talk about this, and we might need to schedule a time to be able to sit down and actually be able to talk about it. Because very often, unless you have scheduled a confession with me, I am usually hearing them on Saturday nights. Sometimes I'll hear them before and after Wednesday Vespers, or before and after Saturday night Vespers. 
especially if it's after Saturday Night Vespers. I don't typically have a whole lot of time because I have a line of people who are coming to confession. So I can't really actually go into great detail. And there are situations which need a little bit more fleshing out and talking through. So uh, in preparing for a lifetime confession, thinking thematically is fine and talking about things in a, in a thematic sense, right? Like, I have struggled with the sin of envy. If you want to write things out, you'll hear some priests will say, don't write things out. I've heard this strongly from, I can think of one priest uh, in my mind, it's nobody anywhere close to here, uh, who was adamant about not writing things down. I have always, when I go to confession, yes, priests have to go to confession to other priests. Uh, I like to write things down because part of the act of confessing for me is kind of thinking about one thing to another and almost inevitably when I don't write things down and even when I do write things down but definitely when I don't I walk away from the confession and I go there's that one thing I wanted to, I wanted to confess and it's not like a lightning bolt is going to fly down from the heavens and strike me because confession in and of itself there is some aspect of this and you need to like don't hide things in confession Hiding things in confession makes them, actually the way the Father's talking about it, like it festers more. You need to expose it to the light. You need to get it out there so that it can die. There's something about owning something. I'm sure we all encounter this even in our relationships with other people. There's something that's going on and it, like, it's really bothering us. What we need to do is actually putting it out there and talking about it. In and of just doing that takes all of the pressure off of it or it like loosens us or frees us from our worry or anxiety about this. Do you know what I'm talking about when you're having a conversation with, uh, or you're having a fight with somebody uh, or you're thinking about the fight that is probably going to happen because you need to tell somebody something, right? Uh, confession can also work in that way of like, you need to just get it out there. I'm gonna tell you right now, I am not standing in confessions, hearing confessions going, you know, oh, mm, wow. I'm not going, oh boy, right? Like, most of the time I'm saying, me too. <laughs> Got it, get it, understood, struggle with the same exact things. Uh, and I'm praying while I'm standing there for you, for uh, like for the church, because the sacrament of confession is a, it is considered like an ecclesial. You are being uh, reconciled, and the Catholic Church will call it the sacrament of reconciliation, which is also a historic way of talking about it. Uh, Orthodox don't tend to talk like that, but it is the reality of the sacrament of confession. Yes? Um, do you have the same theology that when you sin, you are somehow mystically injuring the body of Christ, and then when you are forgiven, like it's, and you do penance afterwards, part of healing the mystical body of Christ? Uh, I wouldn't use exactly that language, but yes, there is a sense in which the, the sacrament of reconciliation, it's not that you are, like, we're talking about, like, Christ on a cross mystically, invisibly in us hurting it. When we're talking about the body of Christ, we're talking about Sin alienates us, alienates us from other people. Sin pollutes the water, the ground, the world that we're in. And we are contributing that, to that. So the sense of the act of reconciliation, and when we go a long time without confession, when we go a long time without repenting, and I'm going to talk about how repentance and confession, what that relationship is, it alienates us from ourselves, from God, and from other people. So the, the act of reconciliation is something that we are reconciled to God, but we're also reconciled to ourselves, and we're reconciled to other people. 
right? So the relationship between repentance and confession. Confession is like the, the sacramental act of repentance. Kind of like, and this is not exactly the best, it's kind of like uh, marriage or communion. We are in Christ, baptized, sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit, but we ritualize, because this is what God gave us to do, in the reception of Holy Communion. We actually participate in the synaxis of the saints, the worship of God, in the reception of Holy Communion. Marriage, uh, we there's a certain period of time, and then we have a wedding, where we are ritualizing this transition from being single to being bound together, and then the blessing that that is to be, to have children, and then the blessing for the world in the way that the, the marriage rite in the Orthodox Church talks. So confession in of itself is a ritualization. And I know sometimes that, that word ritual or ritualization can make Protestants' ears burn a little bit, uh, but read the Old Testament and then get back to me about ritual, okay? Uh, the reality is that we need, we, we all are ritual creatures, period. Like, you're old enough now, I bet you have a morning ritual or an evening ritual. And if you don't, you probably need one because you probably sleep horribly. Or <laughs> Except you, we ritualize things. Why? When we're going to have a nice party or we're going to have people over our house, you put out the fine china. You throw on a new linen, right? Like, you we might even dress up. We, we understand all sorts of other situations. We have birthday parties. We understand funerals, even though I think our world and our culture is more and more. We don't know how to mourn. We don't know, right? Like, it has to be a celebration party instead of actual, like, mourning about what has happened, right? Um, so confession itself is, in a positive sense, a ritualization of repentance. You are looking at the mirror of Scripture, of God, seeing how you fall short of those things, owning those things, and this is the therapy for us. This is how we grow in humility. This is how we grow in desire and love for God. This is not self-flagellation. Uh, this is not to throw you into despair. I, I want to say flagellations and not flatulence. <laughs> I was like, hold on, I was like, I don't want to say the wrong word. Uh, <laughs> people who hear this recording is like, what a weirdo. <laughs> It is a time of like sober <laughs> assessment and being able to then in doing that and owning it to feel the weights because at the end of confession, the prayer of absolution that I would give uh, is God it was who gave David the myth and prophet when he confessed his sins. Peter who wept bitterly first and now the public and the prodigal men the same God forgive you all these things you have confessed both in this world and the world to come and set you uncondemned for a straight judgment seat. Now having no further care of the sins you have confessed, depart in peace. When I'm saying that prayer of absolution, the epitrahelion, does anyone know what epitrahelion is? The stole that a priest wears, which is the, the sign of the sacramental office of priest. It is put over the head of the penitent, and as I'm reading or saying that prayer, you're also the sign of the cross is being put over your head. So you are hearing the declaration that your sins are forgiven, that you can go in peace. Uh, that is basically a new lease on life. Uh, there are many times that I've gone to confession uh, and all sorts of, like, out of sense of duty. And it wasn't that I was like really emotional and like really something crazy or powerfully sinful had happened. It's just I needed to do it. It was time, right? Uh, 
and in the middle of it, it's just kind of, it's just a confession. And hearing the absolution, the free, I feel the freedom of it. And there's other times where it's like, I don't even really know what's going on, but like in the middle of confession, it's just like tears. Because there's something that happens in the act of confessing that God reveals things to you about yourself or about something that like, all right, wow, I was going to confess this, but now I realize really, I'm just a prideful, <laughs> right? Like that, this is the reality. And I'm thinking it's all this stuff, but when I really, I, this is what I need to confess. This is acting like, I see these effects out here, but this is the core of the matter. Um, so I say that to say like, I suggest, especially for folks to be confessing on a quarterly basis, the Synod of the OCA basically recommends if you are receiving Holy Communion regularly, that you are going to confession monthly. I honestly could not handle hearing the amount of people that we have here right now monthly. I also think uh, that it's probably better, especially if you're not used to confession, doing it quarterly so that there's a little bit of time. That's every three months, right? That might mean a special trip on a Saturday night or needing to arrange something with me specifically. Uh, and that takes gumption on your part because I don't go around and be like, I haven't seen a confession in eight months, <laughs> right? Uh, if I had had a relationship of confession, like confessing with somebody, or I as I'm their confessor, I might say something like that because I feel like I've actually not earned the respect, but like shown that I'm not saying that out of some weirdness, right? Because the idea is not to shame people into it. It's to invite them into the life-giving thing that is on offer for them. So, uh, but I'm not, I don't have like, I'm not keeping track. I have a general idea uh, it's why I will mention it from time to time in sermons, because people need, be, need to be reminded about the need for confession. I think once a year is okay, but it is not. It means that you're not actually taking advantage of the sacrament, because anybody can kind of once a year kind of putter out some things. Uh, if you find yourself, this is something that I encounter in confession, very like, you know. This is me as a You know, Father, no, here's the two things. I'm usually, okay, especially if somebody's not used to coming to confession, two things, to me it's like, I probably need to give you a packet <laughs> of a series of questions, because that's like the packet of confession, to get an idea of like a real assessment of where you're at. Because if you only have two sins, then you are holier than almost anybody that I know. Right? So... The reality for, it's not, I'm not going to scold you. I'm not going to anything like that. The only place that I might like say something is like you're committing adultery or something like that. I'm going to say something to you. And there's going to be a penance because there are penances. There are times that there are particular sins that have occurred. And we have an entire literature within the church because the sacramental uh, reality of confession is that we need to repent of our sins. Uh, and there are certain things and boundaries that if we cross them, Historically, there's certain sins that, like, you would not receive communion for five to seven years. Right? So, for example, adultery. You would think adultery would be bad because of, like, the sexual stuff. But the fathers are, like, yes, there's the sexual stuff going on there. But you know what the biggest problem is? You're destroying a marriage. You're taking something that's not yours. And that is why 
the penance is greater than fornication for adultery because you're destroying something. Okay, so this is the the mind of the church. I'm not. I don't give out penances of multi-year, etc. <clears throat> and in certain situations, it has to be coming from the bishop. It's not from me. It's from the bishop of certain situations. Okay. The whole idea of penance, this is not a punishment in the sense of like, you passed 65 miles an hour, you were going, I don't know, probably have to go 85 at this point, right? I think 10 miles over is about, okay, don't tell me otherwise. <laughs> to hit, you know, that then like the priest is like, oh, do not pass go, do not collect $200, you're going to jail, you're going to be there until three rounds of, right? Like, and that's the, the idea of a penance of something like, no communion. There's all sorts of ways of doing penances. It's not just no communion. There are certain, uh, maybe I don't even like the word penance. I'm going to just use the Greek word epitomia. It is the way that the fathers talk about spiritual counsel from a, uh, a confessor is that the priest is a doctor. If you broke your bone, like your leg, and you didn't go to the doctor, and it fused together, and now you're walking like this because you didn't actually go to the doctor to set it. What are they going to have to do to your your leg? Rebreak. Break They're going to have to break it, right? So there are times where the priest has to break a bone in order to reset it. All right. The father. This is the language. They don't use that metaphor, but they very much like something like a vaccine, right? There's like a little bit of poison, right? a little bit of polio, a little bit of something that you introduce into the system in order for the system to be able to just a little bit for it to develop the immunity, right? So this is also a sense of like a little bit of poison makes the body like, hey, that was a serious thing. You crossed a major line. And because of that, there is a penance. And there is like, that might be like for this week, you need to, you know, do the canon of repentance. Or I, like, memorize Psalm 50 and do it three times a day with prostrations. It might be the no Holy Communion for a month and then need to come back to confession. It might be, right, you can see, like, there's a whole lot of things. It depends. There are times that I give penances. I don't even say that I'm giving a penance, but I'm saying, like, you should go do X. Uh, because some people, I think they hear penance and they think punishment and it makes them, that that's not the idea. It is something to kind of like jar the system in order to realize the gravity of what's going on, to elicit from the person. And this is how the fathers talk about once you see repentance, then you can lessen dependence, etc. Okay. Uh, this is something I want to talk about all of this stuff on the front end so that on the back end you're not wondering what in the world is going on uh, if something is going on, okay? Um, confession itself uh, varies in time and you can have different experiences like I was alluding to before. There are times I go to confession, it's kind of perfunctory and it is what it is and other times where the priest, and the priest might not say anything to me. I might not say anything to you in confession. That doesn't mean I don't like you. That doesn't mean that I don't have, like, it might just mean, to be quite frank, I'm tired. <laughs> or there's nothing that's, like, sticking out to me that it's, like, a pretty regular confession. I'm struggling to say my prayers. I argue with my wife sometimes. I really am, like, frustrated at work, and I clock in, and I kind of goof off, you know. 
and I'm you haven't given my last confession. <laughs> <laughs> right, like I, and this is the other thing. So that helped. Like your sins, I think I said this last time, are really boring, right? They're not interesting, even if it's salacious or something like that. It's really kind of run of the mill. Like I've heard just about everything at this point. Shy of I think murder, right? Like so there. Do I? <laughs> Give it time. Yes. I've heard all sorts of things from other, pr- not, not that they're telling me, but what I mean is if you're around long enough, you hear all sorts of things, <laughs> especially it depends on where you're at, like what part of the country and what churches you're in. So you'll hear more things like when the Russian mafia pulls up. Uh, so <laughs> that's a whole other story. So. The, the reality of confession is it is something that we you might not seem scary now until you actually have to do it <laughs> and there's always I still feel this way when I have to go to confession this kind of like right because I'm having to go and there's always that sense of trust of like am I going but I'm going to tell, like, I have never experienced bad confession. Are there times where there can be bad confessions where the priest can be abused? There, there are situations that can occur. I'm not going to lie to you and say that every. And those are situations that you need to run away from. You need to get advice and you go talk to another priest. Okay? Um, but there should not be, uh, if any priest is, like, trying to force you to do things, if I give a penance, it is out of your freedom to engage with that thing. Really, the only... You, you might think that the priest has all sorts of power. I'm going to tell you something. I actually don't have a whole lot of power in any traditional sense of the word. I... And this is how St. John Chrysostom... I can persuade. My word and what I'm trying to teach and preach, that is how what I can do. And the only other thing I can do is I guard communion. There's not much else I can do. I cannot force you to do things. I cannot... I cannot repent for you. I can pray on your behalf. I may repent and have you in mind and be praying for you, but I can't... I, it's just like I can't faith for you I can't hope for you I can't love for you you have to do those things you have to take care of your wedding garment right so there are the reality of confession and spiritual counsel uh, as I was saying is different because confession is basically the articulating of what sins there are and it is helpful this is from some advice and if some of you would like it there's these two talks from Father Seraphim Aldea he's a monk uh, in Scotland, actually, although he's from Moldova, he um, has these two great talks about confession. One of them, the advice that he gives is basically, in preparation for confession, you should be able to simplify the thing that you're confessing to, like a word: anger, envy, gluttony, avarice, or you know, covetousness. And then you might be able to say, like, arguing with my wife, right? Just, you know, those kind of things. Like, not being patient, impatience. Uh, and trying that to, in that kind of con- condensing down, I almost say condensation, <laughs> in condensing it down, you're able to really account for what is going on in your life. Uh, what I suggest in those, and often I will say this, is like, what virtue, and trying to choose one thing out of that that is like, the egregious or like the festering thing and then what is the virtue opposite of that that you need to start developing right if it's anger then it needs to be love and patience and anger is something that the fathers actually talk a lot about about prayer and fasting 
So maybe even voluntarily fasting more than what the church already has set out for you, right? Wednesdays and Fridays in regular time. Um, there is, in all of this, this is to heal passions, addictions, and challenges that we have. And some of these uh, are long-range challenges, right? We're in a marathon. If there's a particular sin that besets you, it ain't going to probably go away in a month. It's probably going to be years of struggling against it by the grace of God. It's kind of reminds you of Paul when he talks about that he had a thorn in his side, a messenger of Satan, right? Like that was that God allowed to be there. This can be something that we find, especially through confession. All right, I've been talking a whole lot. Is there any questions? There's a quote that I want to look up as I'm talking about something. Yes. Are you supposed to say the number of times, like to the best? No, you don't have to do that. How much detail do you need? I don't want detail. What I mean by that is I'm a human being too. And so particular sins, I don't want to know detail. If you're struggling with a particular thing, you can just say it. Just name what it is. That's kind of that, that con condensing down. Right? I didn't know at what like time of night and what you what part of the internet you're on. I don't need to know any of that kind of stuff. Okay. Well, we don't want to count the father. That's what like I will tell. I have told people in confession. That's enough. <laughs> it's like I don't need the detail. You said the sin, and sometimes uh, um, oh, I'm forgetting the word. Scrupulosity. Scrupulousness is something where, like, we really feel like if we don't satisfy that need to, like, almost, like, obsess about our sins, that we haven't adequately uh, repented. But that's not actual repentance to obsess over your sins. Scrupulosity is something that is actually uh, something, and this is where I usually encounter this, of scrupulosity of, like, needing in minute details to tell me all the whatever. And I'm like, I don't need to know. If it is anger, I don't need to know that you beat somebody to a bloody pulp, that you could see, you know, what about, et cetera, et cetera. And I've had to stop people. I'm not just talking about the other thing that I was just talking about. There's other situations that I'm going to be like, okay, that's enough, that's enough you know. And if I'm saying something to you, I'm not trying to get on to you. It's just me guiding you through it. And this is the other thing. If you come to a confession, you're just like, I don't remember this because this is my third time to do it. I'll guide you through it. There's, there's no pressure. Yes. If you forget a sin, but you remember it afterward, has it been forgiven? You should just let it go, or should you try to bring, bring it, it Bring it to confession the next time. But you don't, so what I'm saying, there needs to be a healthiness in regards to this. It doesn't need to be a neurosis, where you're obsessed with things. You're like, did I really say that? Just say it the next time. It's okay. You're probably going to repeat all the same stuff. My confessions are basically repetitions of the same things with a few additions and subtractions here or there. And then it just comes up the next time. <laughs> okay? Yeah. Um, is there, are there any resources that we can use for identifying and, and reducing concepts into, into yep. one-word sense? Yep. Uh, that is the packet. It basically goes through questions. So uh, a very typical uh, way that the Orthodox Church does confession is going through the Ten Commandments. And from there, kind of like, uh, you know, honor father and mother, you know, do not make idols. You can just go through and like all sorts of questions can flow from those things, right? What's your family life like? What's going on? Uh, 
keeping the Sabbath, about how we don't actually rest or give God the glory that we need to and actually uh, rest in Him instead of just vain and silly, you know, doom scrolling or binge watching, right? Like, there, there is uh, also, outside of just the Ten Commandments, I always suggest, uh, and this is in the packet too, of going through the Beatitudes. Mm-hmm. So it's not just like laws that I broke, but it's also things that like I have not developed in me. Am I merciful? Am I humble? Am I meek? Uh, am I? Do I have the faith to actually be open to or be ready for martyrdom? And that is that kind of. Uh, basically, we have the image of Christ, uh, and the way the fathers talk about like a canon, which is like a, a way of measuring something, right? And so we're kind of like a ruler, right? And we kind of measure ourselves and just see, like, where are we? Is this the mark? And what are some bitch marks that we need? So this is also a chance to be able to, like, all right, this week I need really need to focus on mercy because I am not merciful. Who can I show mercy to? Uh, the other thing I would suggest is through the Spirit. And actually, even, like, the Hopko sections that we were just going through, the virtues and going through, even if you want to go back to there and just kind of review some of those things, like, that chastity is a bigger thing than just fornication. There's a much bigger, like, virtue there than just the act, right? Yes? I have a question. So uh, there's a verse that I love that's always been challenging. I consider it the hardest verse for me in the Bible. Yep. It's from First John. It says, if you know what is right and do not do it, it is sin for you. So is that a thing that I can bring? I've got to come to confession this Wednesday, Father, so this is very timely for me. Okay. Um, but uh, is that the kind of so like is it okay like when I realize it like um you know yeah if you want I, if there are things that you're admitting in your life like, like okay so I always keep money for the homeless but I drove right past this dude because I was in a hurry and I didn't want to stop if you, if it is weighing on your conscience and you want to get it off your conscience then do it okay confess it right. I I always think Saint Maximus Confessor talks about this of like. To ignore your conscience, and this is where it can be, you need discernment, even with your conscience, that like, because if you struggle with scrupulosity, it can be something that you need to act, part of the act of confession is also coming and being able to have the priest be like, let's, you, like, don't, because I'll say this to people, like, you don't need to beat yourself up about this, Right. right? Right. But if your conscience is pinged, just confess it. It's better to have a soft heart than to just let those things go. Right. Even if it seems okay. petty. Okay. And, and now, now my second question to that is, do I boil that down to saying I was, um, in, in for this example, which I'm perfectly happy to share, uh, is that where I was being, when I boil it down to like being selfish, or because, or, you know, like, like, but could I still boil, given that example? Yeah, I think so. Boil it down? You could probably boil it into three three things. That's what I was kind of... That's what Like, maybe I, mean, I, I, I was not disciplined in my time, and therefore I did not have extra time in order to be able to even be present to somebody else okay. because I was pre- in my selfishness, I was present to my own doodads right. three hours earlier, and then I was like, oh, man, I'm 30 minutes late because I was just in my own reverie or whatever. Okay. Yeah, I, I Do you know what I mean? Like, I yeah. think that, because this is the other thing about sin, is it's all interconnected. Right. <laughs> it's all a deep root system that is like way more where we're like, oh, it's really just this thing. I'm like, 
almost all the time it's like, yeah, it's actually like a constellation of things, and you are experiencing this thing at this time, but if like somebody else was the one who's putting the pressure on the system, it might actually show itself here. Right? Any other, yes? Um, is penance part of a lifetime confession? No. Okay. Penance is not a part of lifetime, lifetime confession. I usually, in lifetime confessions, I ask things about just, in general, like, how is prayer life? I almost always ask about, if I have time, like, how is prayer? Uh, what are you doing for prayer? Because if your prayer is dead, your spiritual life is dead. Right? If you're not praying, you're dead. Uh, I will usually ask, like, what, uh, usually, I mean, it really depends on what's going on, too. If I have the time to be able to kind of uh, attend to what is going on, because sometimes there is, sometimes people talk a lot, and I have to filter through and try to figure out what's going on, uh, and ask them to boil it down, or like, tell me what is the sin, or what's the thing that is really kind of bothering them and what's going on. So, no, I don't, because in being received into the church, like, that is the process. I don't give out penances like candy. I'm just to make sure, like, that's not like I'm just, it, it usually has to be something that's like a significant thing. Uh, I'm not like, oh, you missed your morning prayers for two, you know, like, I'm going to make it longer for this upcoming week. I mean, that's not, that's not what I, that's not how it works. Yes. Does, does every every time you go to confession, do you always get a penance of some sort? Like, no, say I don't always. Prayer? I don't always give penances. Okay. That's what I mean. Of like, it really depends on what's going on. If I've heard if somebody's coming, some people come more regularly. Some people come weekly, and I might give them a little bit more active penances because they are showing and coming more that they are trying to take care of a few things. So I might give them more specific things to to. When I say to do, like, there's times where we think, like, man, there's this particular sin that besets me, and I want to repent of it. I've repented of it. The Orthodox Church does not have this, and now I've repented of it. It's like, there is, like, some psalms. There, like, there, there's this need that we kind of, like, stand before God and actually repent. And then, as we fall down, then stand back up and call on the mercy of God. This is this active pursuit of him. It's not just like I made the the switch in my head to like now I've repented now I'm good. Can right? I sin no more kind of thing? Yeah, go and sin no more. And just like the way Chrysostom and I think the scriptures talk, repentance is an a action. <laughs> like you have to repair that wedding garment. You have to go to the cleaners, the dry cleaners, right? Like you you do like going to confession. Uh, actually returning to prayer and you can tell in your spiritual life the thermometer of what's going on spiritually with you if, if prayer is just dead then something's wrong something's off i'm not saying therefore you're doing two hours of prayer every single day and that's the thermometer of what spiritual life is but if you are really struggling to pray then that's probably a good time that you need to come to confession to renew prayer or to at least get spiritual counsel any other questions I'm trying to think if there's any other form aspects of things. Yes? Uh, my understanding is when I come to confession that I'm confessing my sins to Jesus and you are a witness. Yep. Okay. Just, just to make sure, because it helps clarify, because people yeah, that's have asked me about that over the years. You know, And look, I, I've been Orthodox for 17 years, and I'm still here, still asking questions, still learning. So well, because don't I feel think bad if you're like, oh, I don't remember. Experientially, ah. it... 
I think if you realize the priest is present, but you are confessing to God, and like if that means you close your eyes or that you need to like really focus and pour your heart out to God, those are the kind of confessions I see somebody and witness somebody pouring their heart out to God as opposed to just kind of going through a list, you know. And if you can, you can experiment with this. I'm trying to give pointers here. You don't have to write down, and like it's good to condense things, but you can also sometimes you just wing it because you just need to go to confession. I'm not going to scold you. I'm just going to welcome the confession. Yes. Um, in the Bible, so I think it's like John 20. You know, like Jesus says, "Whoever sins, you forgive or forgiven. Whoever sins, you retain or retained." Um, my understanding is that you say instead of and I absolve you of your sins you say like and may God absolve you of your sins there are different forms of that there are some that says that I absolve in oh. the Orthodox Church it's not just okay. but because that has been given to the priesthood so yes you're you're confessing before God but a, a priest ha- sacramental confession means you're confessing before a priest right so it they can give you the absolution I mean Saint Sophroni talks about when you go to a priest you what they say to you within reason, this isn't just carte blanche, whatever, but that the priest is speaking for God to you in that moment, and to hear what they are saying to you, and to receive it as a word from God. For your sake. This is not to deify the priest. This is for you to be able to actually receive something from God. I'll go to confession expecting to hear something from God, and if that's just the absolution of my sins, then that's just the absolution of my sins. Because I'm hearing something from God. Any other questions? You're talking about the the priest having the, the authority to absolve, but that's kind of what you're saying at the beginning, the, the binding and loosing mm-hmm. that's given to them. What else is it? I think this is a big exegetical question for most Protestants. They don't know what it is. What is... I mean, this is something that, that may, uh, puts a stark difference between a Protestant pastor and, a, and an Orthodox priest. Pastor, Protestant pastors do not have the binding and loosing. They, they, do, they don't even, most of them do not even presume to have that authority. Mm-hmm. And when you're in a tradition like that, it's not presumed at all. Mm-hmm. Right? That is very different in the Orthodox Church. It is presumed this is what it is. There's an authority that's vested in, in the bishops and in, within the priests, but it's not vested in deacons and it's not vested in the laity for the sake of the body. Mm-hmm. Another yeah. little one, uh, kind of piggyback on what you were saying. Yeah. So, sins of omission are also can be a part of a big part of it. Yeah. So that doesn't mean that you have to have a huge list of sins of omission that right. you go through, right? But I, I think there's a reality. So part of the experience of confession very often is something where you can look at yourself, behold yourself in the mirror. This is the language of James. And uh, the language of James is like you can you know, basically walk away and forget who you are, right? It's also the reality that you can really behold yourself and go, oh my goodness. And and the, and a life of confession can also really reveal to us things that, like I was talking about, how things are interconnected in the deep roots of those things. There is a reality of confession that you can feel overwhelmed and grow despondent because of sin, because you actually behold yourself. Don't lose hope. Come to confession. 
get it released, have the absolution of sins, right? There are certain situations, and I'm talking grievous matters or sins, where I may not give absolution and I may pause what's going on and say that uh, we need to revisit this or hear some penances and then we'll do absolution. But that is like grievous stuff. Or like we need to pause because we need to go to the authorities. Because I'm not going to give absolution in that situation. I'm going to take off my epitrophy and we're going to sit down and have a conversation. By grievous, I mean grievous. Can you read between the lines here without me having to be explicit? <laughs> Otherwise, because what I hear is not supposed to go anywhere. Right? Mm-hmm. That's why I'm pausing it and saying we need to sit down and talk about this grievous situation. Okay? <laughs> yes? Kind of tangentially related about denying communion to somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, if you know someone is in manifest grave sin and they've not repented, do you deny people the Eucharist? Yes. Also, situations where I have never seen the person and I ask them and they haven't done any confession in some time, then I will not give them communion. Mm-hmm. For their sake. They may not like that. Do you, but it's when I when I was ordained to the priesthood, I was given the lamb, and I was told to guard it until the second coming. So, I take that seriously. Are there certain situations where I have to make a pastoral call? Because there's also situations where I learn about things through the grapevine or through something else, and it's not really clear. Like, how would I know that? Then it's something that I need to sit down because I don't always get a chance to talk to somebody before something. So this isn't like, how do I say this? This is not a mathematical thing, right? This is not where like, oh, somebody's communed and therefore it's all like, we have that language. We say so we do not commune to judgment and condemnation, right? This is from First Corinthians. This is how Paul talks about this. They eat and drink to their damnation. And they're talking, he's talking about communion. So there is a reality of a pastoral yeah, that I will, yeah, there are times if I haven't seen somebody in a really long time and I know they haven't been to confession, they need to come to confession. I will tell them they need to come to confession before they can come to communion. Oh, so in, um, I'm trying to think of the I wouldn't say curses, what it can do. I would say it's just like, you know how you read in scripture, it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Mm-hmm. Was that God going in there and like taking the ventricles? <laughs> like, I, Obviously, I'm talking metaphorically here too. It is because God was still God and Pharaoh's reaction to who God was, was to harden himself. So I think there's a reality. You can eat and drink the body and blood of Christ to your damnation because you can do it without consider, not rightly discerning what you're communing. And that can basically harden you. Does that make sense? It is something that um, is uh, manifest in someone's life. Just because someone is receiving Holy Communion does not mean they're actually receiving Holy Communion in the sense that they can just receive so I try to talk about like this is not McDonald's this is not a drive through thing where you can just like 
Oh, yeah, I think to, you know, I haven't been to confession in six months, but, you know, whatever. I think you need to be like, I haven't been to confession in six months, and I know off the top of my head, without even thinking about it, five sins that I, I'm not trying to quantify here. I'm just trying to talk like a different state of your soul. So I should not receive Holy Communion. And you shouldn't feel bad about if you think and discern I'm not ready and fit to receive Holy Communion, that I should not commune. Who cares if you're thinking, oh, but other people are going to notice. People are not paying attention. And you don't need to worry about what other people think anyways. Because it doesn't matter what they think. It is way more important, your relationship with God, than what somebody else is pondering, if they even are. Most people should... Even at, like most people, they're just not paying attention because they're not paying attention anyways. And most, they shouldn't in the first place. Does that make sense? So I would say it's like curses that we're talking about, like you're going to start seeing black cats and stuff like that, right? But I do think there's like, there's a spiritual gravity that if you start taking holy things lightly, you're going to damage yourself. And it's going to, it's going to show all over the place in relationships and all sorts of things. Any other questions? All right, our time has come to an end. Next week, I will, God willing, the creek don't rise, <laughs> read the sections on marriage and family and those things, and, we, and uh, basically death and end time type stuff, and we can talk about that. Marriage, family, and death and end time. That's just how the book is structured. And then after that, we'll talk about reception, baptism, and persuasion. Lord, now let us thou this servant depart in peace according to thy word for mine eyes. I see the salvation of salvation prepared before the face of all people, alive to enlighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay.